We're in the book of Titus. We're going book by book through the Bible. We started in Genesis, and now we're in the book of Titus. Just taking a quick flyover, looking at the, the basic uh, verses, the outline, and some practical things that can help us. And, of course, the Titus is the, uh, is the third of the three pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. 1 Timothy, of course, is written by the Apostle Paul on his, on his first imprisonment in Rome. And he is not in a jail cell at the time. He's in a rented home, and he has a Roman soldier that comes. And during the time that he's there, he's there for two years, and he pays uh, the rent for two years on his own. And, uh, but he got it worked out with Julius, the, uh, the, uh, his guard, his centurion, put him in that situation. The other prisoners went into uh, the jail, and he got to rent his own house. He stayed there for two years. During that time, he wrote the book of Philemon, probably wrote the book of Ephesians. And you might want to remind yourself, of course, in, in, Ephesus, in Ephesians, you find him uh, describing the armor of God, put on the whole armor of God. And, and he compares it to a Roman soldier who probably came and sat in front of him every day and uh, answered his door and took, he got to see that helmet he had pulled off and got to see the breastplate and got to see how his feet were shod and got to see the sword, the, the sword that he held and, and on the shield that he had and all those things. But every day would come in, and then he wrote the book of 1 Timothy, we believe. Of course, there's six chapters. Chapter 1 speaks of keeping your doctrine sound. 2, making prayer a priority. 3, winning, discipling, and training other people. Chapter 4, he tells them, be a good testimony, and uh, don't let anyone despise your youth, but be thou an example of the believers. Chapter 5, treat people correctly responsibilities and relationships in regards to that, whether it be older men or younger men or older women or younger ladies or widows or elderly loved ones or pastors and leaders and elders in the church, as well as monitoring regular relationships. He tells them in chapter 5. Chapter 6, he tells them to handle your finances with wisdom by working diligently, associating carefully, living contentedly, and giving generously. In 2 Timothy, now he's in a bad way. This was his last book that he would write. And he's in the Mamertine prison, most likely. It's not good. It's the fall of the year. Winter is coming. He's kind of by himself. Luke is visiting him and coming to minister to him. But everybody else has gone to different locations. Demas hath forsaken him, having loved this present world. And he writes to Timothy. And he says, Timothy, I need you to... In chapter 1, he said, I want you to stay at Ephesus and charge some they teach them the doctrine. In 2 Timothy, he says, look, I need you to come here and come here quick. And be sure to come and bring the Bible. Bring the other parchments or the other books. Bring my coat that I left at, at Troas. And get over here and come before winter. When you come, bring John Mark. And he writes to him these four chapters, and it's a challenge. It's a personal challenge where he references his mother, uh, Eunice, his grandmother Lois, it's a, it's a practical challenge where he tells him to be a good teacher, to be a good, uh, be strong like a soldier, be disciplined like an athlete, to be faithful like a farmer, be studious like a student, study to show yourself approved unto God. And then he tells him to make sure you're clean like a vessel, meet for the master's use, and then be a servant of God. Don't strive, but be gentle with all men. Chapter 3, he gives him another challenge. He said, it's a perilous day challenge. He said, you, this know also 
that in last times, perilous times shall come. And he lists about 18 sins, and he tells him the way you'll counteract those terrible sins of society, not only in the church but outside the church, will be with a, with a clean testimony, a willingness to do the right thing under persecution. Uh, and if you'll just continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of, do the right thing, stay in it. And they said another way that you'll win against a bad society in a perilous day is to make much of the Bible. Because it's the Bible is given us for four reasons in that passage of Scripture. He'll tell us it's for doctrine, what's right. For reproof, what's not right. For correction, how to get right. For instruction in righteousness, how to stay right. But he says, look, the Bible's given to you for several other things too. From a child, you've known the Holy Scriptures. Why? So that you can know how to be saved. So you can know how to be strong and stable and seasoned and be, be profitable for success. All Scripture is given inspiration, is given inspiration of God and is profitable. Because I want you, what you do with the Bible determines what God does with you. Your, your success, my success will rest heavily upon my approach and my willingness to read, to love, and obey the Bible. And then, of course, in chapter 4, he gives him his parting challenge. He said, boy, the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I'm getting ready to check out of this planet and getting ready to go see the Lord. Uh, and so he says, preach the word, be instant in season. He challenges him personally, practically, in perilous times, and as a parting uh, exit off this planet, the Apostle Paul challenges Timothy. But tonight we're studying Titus. Now, Titus, in my opinion, both of them, Titus and Timothy, were saved in the early part of Paul's ministry, it seems to be. He reached them for Christ when they were young. Timothy was circumcised. They both had Greek daddies. Uh, their, their dads were Greek. Their mother uh, for Timothy and his grandmother was Jewish. We don't know about Titus. Uh, Timothy was, was circumcised. Titus was not. Titus seems to me the stronger of the two. Um, he doesn't give him a lot of personal attention during his three-chapter book. You can see there was a little bit of a tighter bond, seemingly, with Timothy. He knew his mom. He knew he referenced his mom, referenced his grandmother. He challenged him to neglect not the gift that was in thee. God put two of the letters that he wrote to Timothy. He may have written other, other letters to Titus. I don't know. But God chose just to put one letter to Titus. But Titus was assigned to stay on a very uncomfortable place. It looks like it might have been between the first imprisonment of Paul in Rome and the second imprisonment, which I, there's not a lot of information about that biblically. However, uh, while he was there, he told Titus, he goes, I want you to stay on the island of Crete. Now, Crete had multiple ports. It was an island, but it had multiple ports and lots of inner trace, inner, uh, inner ship uh, trace, or, uh, trading going on there. But it was known for, for being a very promiscuous place. Sin, rebellion, uh, sailors were there. And of course, um, just the, if you ever go to a port city, it's been my experience and maybe not yours, but if you go to New Orleans, San Francisco, New York, uh, you go to places where there are ports, oftentimes there's a little bit of an oppression 
that's there, Los Angeles, Long Beach, where I lived. Oftentimes in port cities, you have uh, a strongholds. There's oftentimes multi-international influence, but there's also, it seems like to me, territorial spirits that are there. And I think definitely Crete was that way. He said even their own poets say they're all liars. Everyone's a liar in Crete. They're slow bellies. All they, their God is their belly. They just want to live for their appetites. Whatever they want is what they want. But somewhere in that, in that, in that island, there had been churches started. A lot of house churches or churches started, and they needed structure. They needed regulation, organization. They needed reproof. Some of them needed to be rebuked. And Titus was the man that Paul charged. He said, look, I need you to stay on that island. And I need you to keep it strong, keep it right. And he gives him three chapters that are divided in our Bible. He kind of tells him things that we're supposed to do, things that we're not supposed to do. And then he tells him to reinforce and remind the people of that. Lots of great verses, and we won't take time to go through the whole book, but let's just go through a few verses right now. Would you take your Bibles, Titus chapter 1 and verse number 1. Paul, the servant of God and the apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of the gospel of God's elect, and acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness. So he just kind of, as it is, the custom there, we normally sign our name at the end of our letters. In the Eastern culture, they gave their name at the beginning of the letter. And so he introduces who he is, and, and he references his help is in the Lord, and acknowledging the truth that has motivated him. This verse 2 is a great verse on eternal security. If you're in the habit of underlying verse in your Bible, this is one you want to underline. Let's read it together, can we please? In hope of eternal life, The topic is eternal life. The hope is the guarantee based upon God's promise. And he said, I made a promise and, it's, and, and I cannot lie. I can't go back and it's a promise. So someone who is truly saved um, and, 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 and uh, would go to hell would be, would be means that God's a liar. Because we go to heaven not because of who we are, but because of God's promise and accepting that gift. 1 John 2 verse 25 said, this is a promise. He hath promised us even eternal life. So this, he's just challenging with that. Let's look at verse number three, if you would, please. He hath in due times manifest his word through preaching. How do people get saved? Through someone giving them the gospel, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Now verse number four, read it with me. To Titus, mine own son, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. And then verse five, he says, for this cause, here's the reason. The ministry uh, is a cause. He says, here's the reason I left thee at Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, things that are not right, that are lacking, something's not organized, and ordain elders or leaders, spiritual leaders in every city as I have appointed thee. And then he goes on with the the qualifications for a man that he's looking for to be an elder or someone who could lead a flock for God in that location. You'll see the requirements are there as well as they are in 1 Timothy chapter number 3. He tells a little bit about the environment in which, uh, Paul, which uh, Titus would be working in. He had been there, so he knew, if you would please, look if you would please, at verse number 9. Holding fast the faithful word which you have been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the, the, the gainsayer. Uh, sound doctrine is the greatest 
um, response you can have for a critic. We'll talk about that in a moment. Verse number 10, read it with me, would you please? For there are many unruly and... So you've got to watch out for vain talkers and deceivers. And in every kind of false doctrine, there are two groups of people. They're victims and they're villains. They're villains who know exactly what they're doing. They know it's wrong. It's not right. It's not biblical. And then you have people who are victimized by some smooth talking, vain talker that is there. And he said, especially those of the circumstances. He said, he said you got to watch the Jewish teachers in this day. Is just because they were Jewish in the circumcision, they still have some issues of false doctrine. And he's saying these gainsayers are critics, and uh, gainsayers and critics are, are convincing others. Verse 11, whose mouths must be what? Who subvert whole houses. They don't just affect one person. Never you take the journey alone. Let me just let me ask you to think about that for a second. Say it with me. We don't take our Christian journey alone. Would you say it with me? We don't take our... No man is an island. Okay? What you do affects other people positively or negatively. And you don't take your walk with the Lord by yourself. Obviously, you have the Lord, but other people are affected positively or negative by your conduct, your behavior, your steadfastness, and mine the same. We don't make it alone. He said, but these mouths need to be stopped because they subvert whole houses. They're not convinced just get one or two. They want to create all kinds of problems, teaching things they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. And what's the motivation there according to that verse? Money, the root of all evil, the love of it. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, the Christians are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Uh, wherefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men, but turn from the truth. And of course, he begins to go on there. Chapter 2, he gives uh, instruction to each section. He gives instruction to the older men, older ladies, uh, younger ladies, and the younger men, specific things. I would encourage you, wherever you are in that group, if you consider yourself an older man, read chapter 2. You say, well, I'm not an old man, I'm a young man. Read chapter 2. Well, I'm not an old woman, I'm a young woman. Read chapter 2. If you feel like a young woman, but you're really an old woman, read chapter 2. Because in that passage of Scripture, you're going to see pointed advice, and you'll find, for the most part, Older men have issues with these things he pointed out. Oftentimes they become critical. Older men oftentimes, they, they just put their stuff out there. They say whatever they want to say. There's no filter on the old, old uh, soup cooler. And it causes a lot of trouble. He said, look, you've got to figure this out. Younger men sound in speech. He tells them that, he said, I want you to do like this. And you're going to see specific instructions he's going to give that really we could stay in chapter 2 for a long time. It's extremely practical. And he says, Titus, while you're on this island of Crete, he goes, I want to encourage you to find the older men and charge them to do this, this, and this. And the older women do this, this, and this. And the younger women Help them. Here's where we find the younger women. It tells them to be keepers at home, to love their own husbands, to love their own, their own, their own children. 
And notice this, oftentimes girls, you may not understand this as a young mother, but notice if you would please at this passage, I think it'd be good for us just to see it. Verse number four, older women are supposed to teach the younger women, by the way, by modeling, by mentoring, uh, by a good testimony. If people don't trust you, they usually don't want to trust what you tell them. And if you're not a good example as an older lady, it's really hard for the younger ladies to listen to you. It's really important that we be good examples. But he said, I want the older women to teach the younger women to be like this, to, to be sober. That means aware of your surroundings and walking about with, with, with purpose. You understand what your purpose is at this season of your life. Verse number, to love their husband, to love their children, to be discreet, to be chaste or pure, keepers at home. Take care of your home. Take care of the, the, the domestic responsibilities. Be good. That means be generous in, in part. Obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not what? So interesting there. I think sometimes when you, and, and boy, I just have such admiration for young mothers. And mothers, when you have children that are just coming up, it's so much work. It's challenging to get the kids ready and get them to church and educate them and do their homework. And some of them are home homeschool moms. Some of them are helping them in the school and getting things together. But it's challenging. Boy, coming back on a Sunday night, coming back on a Wednesday night, the work that's involved to be a young mom. But it's something that if a lady does not do her role as a young woman, it says that they'll give reasons for the enemies of God to blaspheme. Well, you wouldn't want that, would you? It doesn't say it to the older men or the younger, or the older women or even the younger men in that same way. But I think it's important. And you say, well, you know what? I just I don't have any freedom. You know, the days are long, mama, but the years are short. And the platform is huge. Opportunities. And the, and the stakes are high. Well, sometimes you say, like, well, when the kids get older, then I'll spend time with them. Boy, that's, that's too late. They learn more between that birth and four years old than they learn in any, any four years of their entire life. You know what they need in that time especially? They need mama. <laughs> they need a mother that will be there to love them and, and to give security to them. If not, oftentimes, I think, if we don't help them, instruct them by the age of four, oftentimes they'll break our heart by 14 and hurt themselves as well. That the name of God be not blasphemed. Just some practical advice he gives in that time. I think the key verses would be verse number, chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Let's look at it real quickly. And of course, he talks not only to the young men, but he talks to people who are servants. And that would have been slaves in the Roman Empire. But to us, it would be applicable to hardworking people, employees. Let's just look at it. I think it's worth looking at. Look at verse number 9. Exhort servants to be obedient to their own masters and please them well in all things. Your boss ought to be pleased with your work in all things. Not answering again, that means don't talk back to your boss. Don't respond answering again and speaking back disrespectfully to your, to your superior. Not purloining, that means don't steal. Don't steal time off the clock, don't steal a paper clip. Don't steal things from the office. Don't steal things from the shop. Anything that would be coming to you should be something to be obviously not purloining, but showing all good fidelity. That means showing faithfulness, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things, that the boss and the people that work with you, whenever they're introduced to the Jesus Christ, they will adorn it. That means they'll take it off of, they'll put it on. 
When someone hands them the opportunity to get saved, they'll say, give me that. I'll put that on. Why? Because I know that guy at work. I had these kids that work for me. I have those folks that serve with me. They live the truth. They're, they're not dishonest. So he gives them some very practical truths. But verse 11, what a powerful verse. Read it with me out loud together, would you please? For the grace of God. Okay, how, how many people have the chance to experience the grace of God according to that verse? All men. The grace of God that brings everyone saved by grace. But grace doesn't just, the grace of God doesn't just save you. In the next verse, we'll see it sets up a classroom in our heart. Look at verse number 12. The grace of God saves us and it sets up a classroom. Look at verse number 12. What the grace of God does is the first, the word, what does it say? Teaching. Okay, so the grace of God doesn't just saves us. It sets up a classroom of sanctification. It teaches us the denying what? Any lifestyle that's against God and worldly or appetites, just getting caught up with what the world is doing, we would, we, would, uh, we would teach us to deny it. Don't do it. That you can live soberly with purpose, righteously, doing the right thing, godly, executing and, and exhibiting godly attributes in this present world. And then also the grace of God does one other thing. It saves us, it sets up a classroom in our heart, and it sets our eyes on the sky. Would you look at the next one? Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of who? Great God and our? This is another place for the deity of Christ. He says, who are you looking for? Who are you looking for? You're looking for that blessed hope and the appearing of who? God. And who is God? Jesus is God. And that's a great verse for that. And then chapter 3, he's going to remind them and reinforce some things. Let's look at our sheet if we can, please. Let me help you fill that out real quickly. Our time is just about up. The outline. Number one, spiritual. Chapter 1 is spiritual leadership. He's going to talk about spiritual leadership that Titus needs to have and developing that in others as well. Spiritual leadership. Underneath that, I would just give you three words. Number one, reproduce spiritual leadership. This is something that many Christians are failing to do. I've been included in that. We can find things that we don't like about this, that, and the other. But you know, as time goes on, you should have other people that you're winning, discipling, and helping. And I just want to encourage you with that. If you're a Sunday school teacher, you ought to make another Sunday school teacher. If you're a bus captain... Don't leave one day and just give Brother Keith your keys or your, your book, your archboard cards and say, you know, I tell you, I've just put my time in and leave it to fall at someone else's feet. A handoff's better than a fumble. Let's hand it off to someone and say, here's a person I've trained. Here's somebody that I'm working with. If you're a nursery worker, help prepare another person to work in the nursery. If you're working in the AV room, help somebody else to do that. If you're an usher, train another usher. I would think that this is something, if you're a deacon, you ought to be having someone. Who, who do you see in the church that potentially could be a deacon? Maybe you could spend some time with them and disciple them in that way. I think it teaches, number one, leaders reproduce themselves. Number two, leaders regulate. He said, set in order the things that are wanting. Set in order the things that are wanting. And I, I use the word regulate just because it starts with an R, but we organize to set some things together and say, how can I best organize this? What can I, what's wrong here and how can I fix it? Sometimes I'll say the biggest room in this church is not this auditorium. It's a room for improvement. 
Lots of things that we need to make better in our homes, in our, in our ministries, in our workplace. Organize. Leaders reproduce. Leaders um, are, are organizing and, and they regulate. Then also they have the opportunity and the responsibility to sometimes to say, that's not right. We have to rebuke. That's not a fun time for Pastor Wilkerson, quite frankly. I'd like to just not have to do that, but occasionally you have to say, you know, that's, I think we've got a problem there. And anytime you're in charge of something, you have to kind of confront or uh, approach somebody with something that's, that's, not, that's not right. And, and Paul told Titus, you're going to need to do that. You're going to need to reprove. Secondly, I want you to notice Christian responsibilities. We kind of went through chapter 2. Responsibilities as men, as women, as young men, young ladies, as servants or employees, and reminding us of the grace of God that we're supposed to walk. And then lastly, practical reminders, chapter number three. In closing, thoughts to ponder. Number one, sound doctrine is the greatest response against critics. He said that with sound doctrine, you can, uh, you can convince and reprove the gainsayer. And convince the gainsayer, it'll be with sound doctrine. If you know the truth, the truth makes you free, and it's a great way to, um, to respond to a gainsayer or a critic. Number two, our life should back up our lips. I said this already, but no one really cares what you have to say until they know if you care. And if people don't trust you, they have a hard time trusting what you tell them. And oftentimes we find, we start looking, if we look at someone suspectly, we, we really, we're looking through them, we, we, we find what we're looking for. If you're looking for negative things, you're going to find negative things. And we can't find positive things for the same reason that a, um, a thief can't find a policeman. He's not looking for him. <laughs> And sometimes when someone's upset or, or, or just, just everything, is, is, everything is gray, everything is negative, everything is, uh, is not good, no matter how many good things. Well, we could have a whole auditorium, people come and know the Lord's their Savior, or people getting baptized. Someone walks out and says, I don't, that wasn't a good service. I don't appreciate that. Boy, sometimes we can get that way. We can just get melancholy and critical. And oftentimes we find ourselves that way, but I would encourage you to let your life back up your lips. Number three, learn from the grace of God. And we learn three things about the grace of God. It saves us. It sets up a classroom in our heart, teaching us to deny God and live soberly. And finally, the Bible tells us that the grace of God sets our eyes on the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I had a man one time tell me, his name is Gilbert Gaylor, and he said this to me, John... All great Christians have lived with the understanding of the imminent return of Christ. I don't know how he got that, but I, you know, I want to I live in such a way that I know that Jesus could come at any moment. And if he came, I would not be ashamed at his coming. Have you ever been doing something wrong and someone stopped you or you walked in and scared you? Yeah, because you're embarrassed. I don't want the Lord to come back and me doing something or having an attitude that would be wrong, but I've been there before. But look for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the last thing, anticipate the coming of Christ. Anticipate the coming of Christ. Let's just look at a couple things real quickly in verse number chapter 3, and our, our time is up. Put them, in, put them 
in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates and to be ready to every good work. This is a reminder that as he concludes to Titus chapter 3, he says, remind people to be submissive, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, not, not looking for the next argument or fight, to be gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also are sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy and hateful, hating one another. Would you read in verse 4 and 5? Are you ready? But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration by the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Verse 6, it just reminds us, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Lord, that being justified by His, what? We should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And once again, He closes it with reminding Titus that he needs to see him too. So He said, Titus, I know I told you to stay in Crete, but I need you to come. And so when you come, would you bring Zenos the lawyer? And he said, why don't you bring another person? You'll see that in verse number, verse number 13. Bring Zenos a lawyer, verse 13. And Apollos, he was the gifted pulpiteer and preacher of the day that was enlightened by Aquila and Priscilla on their journey diligently and nothing be wanting unto them. He said, when you have them come, take care of their needs. Take care of them. If we stop by Motel 6, pay the bill. <laughs> if they need something in a sandwich, give it to them. Take care of them. Bring them. I need them where I am and most likely there in his last days.